You know, sometimes, and I would probably say in most cases, we need to arrive at a place where we have just had enough of suffering. Yeah. And where we realize enough is enough. Yeah. And, um, and I have suffered enough and now I need to change. I need to change course because this is just killing me basically. And yeah. I'm not, not happy and I feel not aligned with who I am at all. And if I'm suffering, constantly suffering and meeting, meeting failure upon failure, of course only my perceived failure, but something must be off, you know. And so I, I guess that question that arose was, is there more? And yeah. yes, of course, there must be more. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I know for sure is that I'm far more than a body of bones and flesh. Wow. That I'm an expression of the whole, expressing itself through this. Through you, through your temple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so realizing that oneness with everything just gives me a um, humility wow. and an aliveness that I am part of something greater, something bigger, wow. and that I am here for a reason and for a purpose. Yeah. And I'm and I'm here to make this planet and this universe, uh, you know, a, a more beautiful place. To, to make it more whole. Yeah. Yeah. I am nothing and I am everything. Wow, I'm sorry. Sometimes I hear a phrase and I just think our listeners need to hear it twice. But in your slow voice, please. <laughs> I am nothing. I am no one. And only when I realize that can I realize that I'm everything. Wow. Hey, and thank you, thank you, thank you for joining yet another episode of A Journey with Bernie. And I'm so grateful that you have. Today's guest is going to delight you. Um, in many ways... Innes Hemmings, who I met, yes, yet again, at the Vipassana Servers Retreat Program. Did you enjoy that week, Innes? I did, immensely. <laughs> what did yeah. you enjoy about it, may I ask? Um, the, the people. Yeah. We just had so much fun together. You, you're talking about we who were servers. Yeah. And we who had to prepare all these meals yeah. and deliver it to all the participants. Wasn't it fun? It was. Yeah? yeah. Did you learn as much about cooking as what I did? I did, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I have chopped beans before, so that yeah. wasn't my first time. Well, that was my first time. Yeah, the I first know. time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I've definitely become better at it, so. <laughs> this is where I met Innes, uh, Innes Hemmings at the, the service program of a Vipassana 10-day silent retreat, which had attracted about 50 participants. 70. 70 participants. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot more girls, wasn't there? Which yeah. is really interesting as to why such a process would attract more women than the men. But... Um, uh, yeah, just a terrific program and terrific experiences had by them, which we learned about, of course, when they had the opportunity to speak on the 10th day. Mm. They weren't allowed to go home until the 11th. Yeah. But more about Innes Hemmings. I'm just going to share with you something, dear people. Gee, I find it absolutely beautiful and wonderful when you can meet someone. <laughs> and Innes, I hope you don't mind me saying this. But in some ways, Innes could be the girl next door, could be the young lady down the road. But in other ways, she is a lady of grandeur. And the grandeur comes from the decisions that she's made in her life in order to become something more than where she was heading. We're going to learn about the pathway that Innes has chosen. And you're going to find it fascinating 
that such a young person in us, I know a lady has a right to keep her age a secret. So I'm just going to say 30 plus or minus, okay? Yeah. In that vicinity, dear people, but the choices that she's made make her much wiser, possibly much older. I know the choices that she's made, I don't think I was even aware of them until I was in my 50s. Hey, let's get on this journey with Innes Hemmings. Innes, when you spoke before, I think our listeners would be aware there's a little accent in there. Can you explain the accent, please? I can. Um, So I was born and raised in Austria. Wow. Yeah. Edelweiss. Edelweiss. In in the mountains. Very beautiful area. Sound of music mountain? Uh, Yes, but I'm not a sound of music person. I have to admit I've never watched it. Is that right? How can you be Austrian and not watch the sound of music? Well, that's one of the stereotypes that people have, (laughs) that Austrians have watched it and that they know it, but I have no idea. But you were born in Austria. Tell us about the village or just give us a little feel for Mm. your primary school, your pre-10-year-old life. Yeah. Well, I was born in Vienna, actually, but then I grew up right in the south next to Italy and Slovenia, half an hour from the border, in the middle of nowhere. That's where I grew up the first 18 years. Of your life. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a tiny village. There was not a lot there. Yeah. And I always badly wanted to be in the city because that's where all the cool kids were. Okay. That's where my school was. Um, but somehow I felt stuck in this in this village, and I always wanted to be part of of the city. And and then eventually, when I was eighteen, I did move into the city. I moved to Vienna. Don't go there just mm. yet. One or two memories of your mm. childhood. Come on, give us a flavour. What are you playing in the woods? Are you chasing uh, animals? Are you a farm girl? What's going on? Well, I actually grew up next to a farm, um, but my days pretty much consisted of plucking apples from apple trees with my brother or stealing them. Um, ah, that was legal. (laughs) Those things are legal in the countryside. We would, you know, we would run through the cornfields. It was just, we were surrounded by massive fields of corn. Yeah. And my brother and I, we just found so many ways to create and have fun. Yeah. And we didn't care about tomorrow. We cared about the present moment. Okay. And we didn't care about what others thought about us. But that's typical of children, don't you think? Is that your perception of... The life of a child, which I suppose we as adults have got to often say, where did we lose that? But my perception of children is they're so good at living in the moment. They can even have a problem in the sandpit yesterday, but then go to the same kids the next day and there's no problem in the sandpit. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. Just living in that now, which we as adults... We harbour a lot of things. Mm. Hey, let's not go there. You then go to the city. How did you get to the city? How did that evolve? Um, Well, my mum used to take us, my brother and me, to the city whenever we wanted to. But there's only, you know... My my mom's job didn't consist of taking us in her car constantly from A to B. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had very limited amount of visits yeah. to the city. Yeah. So we had to find ways to just have fun by ourselves. But as you grew up and you leave behind your primary school or those, those tender years mm. up until 10, 12, 14, 15 years of age, um, leap, leap forward... When did you leave that lifestyle, that beautiful, humble childhood lifestyle? I left when I was 18. Okay. Where'd you go? I moved into the city of Vienna to become, you know, the city girl that I always wanted to be and felt I was. And I really enjoyed it for many years. Um, Yeah. You know, I wasn't really a nature girl and I actually resented that part of me a little bit from my childhood. What did you resent? Oh, just... Being in nature, being in the middle of nowhere, not being in the action. Ah, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what took you to Vienna? Was it university? Were you? Yeah. Did you have a job? Uh, university. Yeah. 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 That's uh, pretty much the only town, one of the only towns in Austria you move to if you go and study. And what were you studying? Architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Why architecture? Oh, why? That's uh, that's that's a big one, Bernie, but. <laughs> 
actually, when I was eight years old, I was drawing floor plans and I was drawing dream houses in my free time. Yeah. Even during class. Yeah. I would go to my family, to different family members and ask them what their dream house would look like. Yeah. And then I would recreate it on paper. Right. And, you know, draw it down and, and present it to them and ask them if that is their dream house. Yeah. And I really, really enjoyed that. So you're, you're, you're starting a university degree at 18, 19 years of age? Yeah, You're all like finished that. by 23? Um, if everything goes smoothly, yes, <laughs> which it usually doesn't in architecture because we, we study for ages. That's part of the culture. Like how many years did like you? Like 10 years. In, normally 10 mean? years in total. Total, yeah. What, a 10-year degree? Well, mine didn't take that long, but usually it does take that right. time. Yeah, it didn't take that long because no. you passed in f with flying marks. Uh, no, not uh, at all. No, <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of fun. And yet you were were able to get obviously enough good marks uh, for it to offer you an entrance into a postgraduate. Yep. degree or a postgraduate pathway. Same university? Different university. So it was um, TU Delft in Holland. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you've now switched from Austria to the Netherlands. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. yeah. And, and, and you, university experiences, do you, a 10-year degree, and I know it didn't take you quite 10 years, mm. but it, there were some interesting highlights during that time. Um, what type of assignments do they give you? Uh, what type of experiences do they give you that were really impactful upon you? We had to, for my graduation project, we had to design, we had to redesign the typical um, highway petrol station. What? Yes. Yeah. And because, you know, you drive by these, you drive buy these petrol stations and they're just they're just boring like yeah. they don't have there's just one function of getting yeah. petrol and yeah. getting some food and and we had to redesign that okay and you know we had a few parameters that we had to stay within yeah but the rest was just up to our creation yeah and so i did this massive analysis of the whole environment and the whole you know the whole area that it was embedded in and it was this really beautiful touristic area so yeah. I came up with this hub that um, that combined these many different functions and different actors to come together for yeah. it really to be a melting pot of travelers wow. exchanging and then wow. continuing uh, and continuing their journey. Yeah. Well, but I'm hearing there that almost you're trying to redesign what is a a, a service station, which most people stop at, I suppose, for petrol. Yeah. <laughs> to fill up the car. Um, interesting enough, in Australia, we also use it, for example, I used it today coming up here to the Sunshine Coast as a stop to collect food mm. um, so that it could um, uh, distract my journey or add value to, my, to mm. my journey. Out of interest, how do you find the service stations in Australia? You know, they do their job, I guess. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you might say, oh, no, they're really, really special, Bernie. But no, they're, uh, they're effective, but they could be more yeah. effective. They could be more magic in okay. our built environment. Okay. Yeah. More magic in the sense that they could inspire more connection, more community. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, in all ways, yeah. Yeah, wow. And not so – I mean, many buildings that we – build and if you look at the built environment in general it's all separated blocks yeah and nothing is really connected yeah that really reveals that paradigm of separation that we live in what do you, you mean know? by paradigm of separation that sounds well we think of everything as separated oh i see yeah nothing oh, is connected but in reality everything is connected yeah now, now you're giving us something which and, is... and that's how that's how things should be built you know wow we, we're here to share buildings should like trees share with each other and should be catalysts for something greater and not just for petrol, for example. You're, you're, yeah. you're jumping ahead on me here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but now, what I mean by that is you, you've, just, you, you've just introduced a whole beautiful topic around maximising and enhancing life by saying, Bernie, 
we are missing out on so many opportunities, even in the way that we design petrol stations, even the way that our, our housing is, is built and presented, we are missing out in the creative thought of connection. We should be thinking more connectively. Absolutely, yes, yeah. yeah. Then you made reference to the trees. Mm. What was all that about, please? Well, you know, we see trees as coming out of the earth yeah. and we think they're separate. Yeah. We think they're separate entities. Yeah. But we're not completely aware that underneath, underneath that soil yeah. is a whole network, a whole interconnected network yeah. of mycelium that travels and, and connects and... and um, delivers information from one tree to the other. What allows the mother tree to speak to its seedling? Absolutely, and support its seedling. Even when, when another tree in a community of trees is in crisis, all the trees or many of the trees in its environment send certain chemicals to that tree that is in need of aid wow. so that that tree can regenerate. Well, yeah. you just elevated my perception of the power of nature. That's uh, that's is the power of nature interconnectedness. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You are reminding me of of someone once referenced me to a Netflix um, show <laughs> called Fungi. Yeah. Have you seen the Netflix documentary called Fungi? I think I might have seen that one. Yeah. 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 And and they were describing how fungi supply like almost a telecommunications network, yeah. <laughs> a web that allows so much of the flora and the fauna to be able to yeah. speak and, and, yeah. and communicate with yeah. each other quite, re, quite remarkably. Now, we've gone from this university in Delft where you're doing the postgraduate and now we're into almost your... It's almost the reason. You're starting to give me reasons as to why you were at Vipassana last week. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lose that. I can promise you. Yeah, we're going to yeah. come back to yeah. it to understand it a little bit more, right? But I want to just go back to the, your, the postgraduate work mm -hmm. at, at, at Delft. Yep. Experiences. Do they, for example, do they send you overseas? Do you go and investigate, you know, architecture in other countries? Um, how, do they, how do they enlighten you as to the possibilities of creative architecture? Mm. Well, I was blessed, really, really blessed to be at a university that does offer, you know, magnificent opportunities to travel yeah. and to travel even within or without the country, yeah. within and outside of it, yeah. to travel to the actual buildings that we were to redesign or yeah. whatever it yeah. is. And, and one really fundamentally life-changing trip for me was a trip we did to India. Wow. Yeah, we but flew all the way to India. The graduates of the, or the, the students of the architectural school went to India? Within that studio, so it was about 10, 15 people. What was the project? So the brief was to redesign a slum okay. in Ahmedabad. Wow. Yeah, so we actually went to visit the actual slum. Yeah. We, we got to talk to the people that lived there. Yeah. And it was eye-opening. It's eye-opening for me just listening to yeah. what an assignment and the, the, one of the groundbreaking things for me on site was that, you know, we have this perception of people in slums that they're not happy and we as Westerners, we need to come and save them and redesign them as if we know better, you yeah. know, than them in their culture yeah. and instead of building with them. And so we go there and eye-opening to me was to see that even though those people, even though they didn't have a lot in the material sense, yeah. they were actually happy. They were satisfied. Like, yes, they needed sanitary facilities and all these upgrades, no doubt, but there was a basic sense of happiness. Why? Because they had a very strong sense of community. Wow. It wasn't just everything house for house all to themselves. But guess what? Like trees, every household was connected to every other household. They had common plazas where they would hang out and it wasn't just all about me, me, yeah. but about us. Yeah. And how can we share and make this happen together? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. 
unbelievable connectedness. You don't know this about me, Innes. Okay? But I, I, I've been taking young people across to Kaibera. The, uh, I think it is now the biggest slum in Africa. It's in Nairobi. And when I used to take 40 or 50 young people, um, and they would come from some elite private schools here in Sydney and Brisbane and around Australia. Yeah? And they would hop off the plane in Nairobi and they would be greeted by 50 students, same age as them, from the slum. Five o'clock in the morning. I mean, they were so eager to greet the Australians as their guests. They would go to the airport at five o'clock in the morning. And as the Australians would come into the, the foyer of the airport, departing Nairobi, to be greeted by these students, our Australians were attacked with kindness. All those beautiful noises that the that the, the the African people would would the African students would would uh, would make with excitement, you know, mm. and our kids couldn't handle the oh may I carry your bag? How are you? Oh, so welcome to Kenya, you know, and then over the next three or four days, our students became early on quite confused. How come you are so happy? Yet I've just seen you live in 12 square metres with corrugated iron walls and, and a roof. Mm. And uh, you haven't even got a bed. You, you lie down on the floor, um, all seven of you, <laughs> um, in, that, mm -hmm. in that time period. Yeah. yeah. The benefits of poverty. Wow. That could be a really interesting discussion because I can hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, there can't be benefits in being poor. Maybe it's the benefit of unattachment. It comes with a different set of challenges. Yeah. But, you know, poverty is also um, a construct made by the brain. Yeah. We have a certain definition of what poverty is. Yeah, yeah. But poverty, you know, you can be poor in a material sense. Yeah. But actually, very rich in spirit. Yeah. And are you truly poor then? Yeah. You know, or you can be very rich and wealthy in a material sense. Yeah. But all your relationships, you know, you cannot trust any of them. Yeah. And you feel everyone's just taking advantage of you. Yeah. You have no one to really confide in, other than a therapist, maybe. Yeah. So how wealthy are you in the inner plane? How yeah. rich do you really feel? Yeah. So. You know, I live at Kangaroo Point. It's a pretty good place to live. It offers a terrific lifestyle for me there. But there are still some homeless persons um, in and around that area because there's some nice private space underneath the bridge in the park. And I've got to know a few of them. And there's one of them I'm thinking about at the moment. He just says quite clearly to me, he's really happy as a homeless person. He's wow. really happy that he's not stuck, that he, he, he's not fixed, mm. <laughs> that he can, he, can, he, can, he can roam. You know? And I find that really, really uh, fascinating. You're alluding to that as you, mm. as you speak before. Hey, come to this gap that we were referring. Now, the gap I'm talking about, I've got, I've got Innes. At, uh, I've got you at around about 23, 24, 25 years of age, something there, around something yep. there. And you've got this incredible experience in India. You're still doing your graduate or postgraduate studies in architecture, yet I met you doing a Vipassana program, and in my interaction with you, you're on a totally different pathway. I don't hear architecture last week when I was with you at Vipassana, I hear, I almost hear you letting go of that world, that corporate commercial world. Is there a defining moment in which you switch directions? <laughs> there is, definitely. Share. Yeah. That defining moment was the evening of my 27th birthday. Are you a graduate of architecture by then? I was just freshly out of... Graduating out of my master's. Yeah. yeah. Have you got your first big job? 
I was looking for my first big right, job, okay, and it okay. was it was interesting because I had applied to so many things, to so many companies and firms, yeah, and um, and none of them accepted me, and it felt really strange to me that you know I, I'm freshly out of such a prestigious school, yeah, no one takes me. What's happening here? You know, yeah. maybe this is not the path for me. So already there's some seeds sown there of doubt and uncertainty as to whether you want to jump into the architectural corporate commercial pathway. You know, the mind has makes all these big plans and thinks it knows what is best for us. Yeah. You know, yeah. the the brain, the cognitive part of us, but sometimes there's or all the time um, there's a deeper part to us or yeah. you know, if you want to call it spirit, some something deeper or something higher that actually knows better. So what other doubts and uncertainties are existing in you at this time before we get to your 27th birthday? Mm. To be honest, up to that point, what I wanted to do is graduate, graduate, get a really good job, yeah. move in with my then boyfriend yeah. and just settle down. So that was the definition of moving forward in life for you. Yeah. Settling down in Amsterdam, um, meeting friends, having a good life, just enjoying myself. Sure. Um, traveling, but, you know, looking back, it, it may sound, you know, free-spirited and, oh, creative. and But actually, I was playing the game, if I may say so. you got to explain that. I was playing society's game because I was still... I was caught up in people's expectations of me rather than the deeper truth of who I really was and what I really wanted to do. How were you playing the game, but like this means when you say playing the game, you're making decisions that please that expectation of the game. Um, so can you bring that to life for us? How were you playing the game? You know, when you study architecture, um, you are conditioned to um, make your portfolio, get a job, and then just, you know, work your way up the corporate ladder kind of thing. Yeah. So that was one layer to the story. Yeah. Another layer to the story was to just be in a relationship with a man. Yeah. Even. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which was the case back then. Yeah. Another layer to that whole story was um, to become financially wealthy so to be within architecture. So even yeah. imagine the friction because architecture yeah. is not known to be a profession where you earn a lot of money. But enough. You do earn enough. But I wanted to have a lot because right. I, was, I was born and I grew up in an environment where money and looks and how things how things are perceived yeah. from the outside, where that is the most important thing. But prior to this moment that you referred to, and we'll come to the 27th birthday soon, but all of this is going on and you've bought into this game. Mm -hmm. At any stage up until this point, are you questioning the game? Or you've just bought in? Oh, I was definitely questioning the game because I felt very distressed about having to climb up some kind of corporate ladder because I didn't really want to do it. Right, okay. But I felt there was I, I felt there was another way, but then I got declined at all these other opportunities that I wanted. Like I tried to get into companies in all sorts of different ways, but it just didn't work out. So I thought maybe maybe that's just not the path for me or something. Why do you think you got declined? Is it do you, do you, have you ever looked back upon it and said there's a reason for it? <laughs> Oh, because my heart was in a completely different place. And if I look at my portfolio and the introduction letter that I put in there, it didn't align at all with the company that I was applying to. It was almost yeah. as if, you know, you're just sending this um, portfolio and this application to a company just to say you've applied yeah. and you've tried. But I can, if I read this introduction letter again, I'm like, of course they didn't take you because you yeah. even state in that letter that you want this. But that's completely di different than what this company offers. Yeah. Because yeah. I, in my introduction letter, said that I want to exp 
explore the peripheries of the architecture profession. I want to yeah. carve my own path. I want to explore what architecture can be I and do it. outside of the box. Yeah. And here I am applying to a conventional architecture firm. Yeah. It's yeah. like there's no match. Yeah. So they look at them like, oh, well, you have to, we're not the guys for you. Yeah. Did you express this, this want to change, mould, reshape architecture? <laughs> Did you express this while you were a graduate or during the, during the, during the degree? I did, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. part of um, the board in a study association, and that's where my whole perception of architecture just exploded. Yeah. Because up to then, I wanted to become an architect in the very conventional sense, which is designing buildings, possibly developing buildings. At some stage, I even wanted to get into real estate afterwards just to earn money. Yeah. Because that's what many architects do. Yeah. And then I get into the study association and I come in touch with this immensely creative and international environment full of amazingly beautiful creative people. Yeah. And, um, and, and got in contact with other fields other than just architecture, yeah. but got in touch with graphic design and ev event management and um, you know, museum curation yeah. and, and, and creative writing. So that was, I realized all of it was an aspect of architecture, just a different face. Yeah. And it can still, it can still be architecture. Yeah. It's just a different perception, different face of it, a, a broadened sense of what architecture can be and do. And that's, that was the moment for me when I realized architecture is so much bigger than we are taught at school, than we are conditioned to believe, yeah. than we are conditioned to... Um, think that we are capable of. I mean, yeah. architecture has so much potential, yeah. so much more yeah. that yeah. is there for us. Yeah. And, and that, you know, expanding that potential yeah. and exploding that box of what architecture can yeah. be doesn't start with consciously doing that on the outer plane saying, oh, we're going to explode architecture. Yeah. You need to do the internal job because yeah. Yeah. that's the sustainable path you change starts from within you know yeah, sure. if you everything on the outer plane is a projection of the inner plane so yeah. if you dig into your own core and explode the perception of who you think you are yeah. and of who you thought you were and yeah. who you thought you should have become if yeah. you explode that i i promise you the way you project yourself outward in this world and yeah. what you will do will naturally be of a different kind. Dear listeners, I wish you were here um, in my pair of shoes right now because as Inna speaks, you should see the way her face lights up <laughs> with passion and energy about the possibilities of an industry called architecture. Hey, um, you alluded to this day, this date, this moment where it was a game changer um, it was your 27th birthday. Something happens that will change the course of your life, or maybe change the course of your life forever. Oh, 100%. Share the experience. Yeah. I think that evening was a reminder for me of how much I had deviated from my center. And that evening was the culmination of that deviation. Did you know that then that you were deviating from your centre or was this I a hindsight view? I, definitely a hindsight view, but I had felt it. I just didn't want to admit it. Okay. Yeah, because okay. it's difficult to admit that yeah. maybe the person you're with is not the person that is good for you yeah. and that you are not good for them either. Yeah. You know, it goes always both ways. Is it difficult to admit that you are off-centre? <laughs> for me now? No, back then. Um... Or you didn't see it quite. I didn't. I didn't see it. To yeah, be honest, I yeah. felt it, but I didn't want to admit it. Oh, okay. I felt it because um, there was just so much friction in my life and so much tension between us. Yeah. And I was just met with constant failures and and suffering. That's what it felt like. Yeah. And I was just in constant stress. Yeah. So much that I, you know, I. I got scabies at some point, wow. as all of us in our group. Wow. But it, it um, caused some kind of reaction within my body, even yeah. after applying the cream, yeah. that, it, that 
intense tingling and itching yeah. that is, you can't cope with it. Yeah. So while with others, it, w it was just for one or two weeks. Yeah. With me, this tingling and itching on my whole body persisted for like two or three years. Wow. Yes. Wow. So within my graduation, I, every second night, I couldn't sleep because yeah. of that phenomenon. Yeah. And every other night, I had to drink myself to sleep, to even sleep five or six hours. What, what, what do you mean drink? You, you, you Red wine. Yeah. 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 Cigarettes, just to distract myself from that pain. Now, that's not the girl I met last week. It's not, no. Yeah. So, how does, how does all of that experience transform I'm not going to say into the girl I met last week, but how does it manifest itself then into a changing pathway? What then does it trigger? What then do you do? What then do you search for? How do you let go? What happens next? You know, sometimes, and I would probably say in most cases, we need to arrive at a place where we have just had enough of suffering yeah and where we realize enough is enough yeah and um and i have suffered enough and now i need to change i need to change course because this is just killing me basically and yeah. i'm not not happy and i feel not aligned with who i am at all and if i'm suffering constantly suffering and meeting meeting failure upon failure of course only my perceived failure but something must be off, you know? And so I, I guess that question that arose was, is there more? And yeah. yes, of course, there must be more. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so what I'm hearing, this is the picture, I want you to make sure that I've got all the colors right, okay, okay? 27 is the incident, but in fact, the aftermath of that is still being experienced potently, even in a physical dimension, a year later and this is an ongoing experience of the suffering and the questioning and the off-centeredness mm -hmm. um, the disconnection with your core that you are experiencing and it got to a stage where you've looked in the mirror one day metaphorically and you've said enough is enough I want to live fully fully so what do you do to change that around? It all starts with a really good question. To ask a question. You know, of who? And live the answer. Of yourself? A question. You ask the question and then you live it. So my question back then that arose from that day onwards was, who is the truth of me, really? Because I had not been living my truth. And so if I had not been living my truth, what is my truth? Yeah. And so that question becomes the catalyst for this whole journey that opened up yeah. from then onwards. Who is the truth of who I am? Yeah. Yeah. It's like someone else asking you, who are you? Yeah. And you're, I think you're, giving a message to all of us who are part of this podcast and who might listen to this particular episode, um, it's a question that we should all ask ourselves. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. What if answer we have the courage to ask that question. What about the courage to answer it? Well, first we need to have the courage to ask it. Okay. Like we that. don't need to consciously answer the question. Because yeah. if we try and answer it from our brain, we'll just conform to some pattern yeah. that's out there already. That could be someone else's pattern. Oh, this is your truth. You know, yeah. This is what you should do. You should go on a trip to India and go explore yourself. Yeah. No, I'm asking that question and the answer will come to me naturally in my own way. Yeah. And I don't need to travel to India to answer it. But yeah. maybe I will. Yeah. Maybe I won't. Yeah. Yeah. You know? What answers did you start coming up with? <laughs> Radically following my heart. Wow. And um, creating what I've always been wanting to create. Yeah. 
um, without giving too much regard to people's expectation yeah. of what that should look like. Yeah. And um, people's expectations of what you look like is the other game, isn't it? That's it is. that's part of changing moving away from 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 that game mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. following your heart where then did your heart take you to australia wow because that's my second home and i've always wanted to do that you explain why it's your second home because my father's from australia okay and i spent so many christmases in australia as a young girl yeah flying over that huge red desert of a continent <laughs> Looking out of the plane, seeing that, looking at it in awe, and yeah. you know, and I really, really wanted to experience that again. Yeah. And to be honest, the country was calling me, had been calling me for quite a while. Okay. And the plan was to move there with someone, with my then boyfriend. But then I realized I don't need anyone to do this with. Yeah. I'm a big girl. I'm an adult. Yeah. I can do this by myself. Yeah. And this is. Um. This is. This is me just living, living the magic and living life on my own terms. And interestingly enough, once I started to really hone into what my heart was saying and feeling and responding to that, that's when things just started to shift yeah. and magic really started to happen yeah. without me really working for it that much. Yeah. Opportunities just opened up. Like my, you know, it's really hard to get um, a flat share in Melbourne, and I had heard so many stories. Oh, it's so difficult, and you'll need to look ahead for, like, you'll probably need to live in a in an Airbnb first before you find something. That's what everyone tells you. But I was in a place where I thought, no, the the right people are just going to find me. So there's some kind of laziness even that was involved, like some kind of divine laziness. I just divine surrender. Divine laziness. Yeah. I've heard a lot of a lot of nouns that follow the word divine, but I've never heard of divine laziness. <laughs> yeah, not working too hard for it, because that's yeah. again the mind interfering, stressing, <gasps> and it's oh, we need to make this happen. But divine laziness, an interesting phrase, <laughs> could also be replaced by "I just had faith." Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I had faith that, that 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 things could unfold, and have they? They have. But also back to that concept, it's not just faith, but it's also not interfering so much with your brain, you know, because constantly thinking you need to do things, you can interfere with that path. Yeah. And then you do other things that, you know, you can, I could have back then been totally stressed out about not having a flat yet two, two weeks before moving there. Yeah. Could have totally been stressed out and contacting a hundred different people. But you know what I did instead? I was I just put my profile on that flatmates.com website and yeah. I and I didn't apply to any of them. Can you imagine? Yeah. I yeah. didn't apply to any of of those flats. Yeah. And I went into it with an attitude, the right people and the right place will find yeah. me. Yeah. And um luckily or interestingly enough, a week later this beautiful household with beautiful two people reach out to me. I read the description and I thought, wow, this I deserve this because they just sounded so lovely. Wow. And they wanted to talk to me. And I said, yeah, great, but actually I'm traveling at the moment. Can we do that in like a week's time? Yeah. yeah. So I wasn't even wanting it super much. I was just like, if it's for me, it's going to happen. Yeah. And they said, yeah, yeah, cool. But then the next day they got back to me and said, oh, actually, we want to decide on this. Can we, can we please talk yeah. one of the next days? Yeah. And I said, oh, and I, I remember I was actually a little bit annoyed. Yeah. You know, I was okay. Well, I'm on travels, but okay, I can make time. Yeah. And um, and we had a chat, and it was so lovely. We talked for two hours, and they yeah. said, "Oh, we're gonna get back to you in the next one week and let you know." Yeah, yeah. And they go back to me the next day. I was sitting in the train. They said, "Oh, we want you. Please, wow. please live with us." Wow. You, you know where I'm getting excited hearing that story? Because I'm actually going back to when you applied for the jobs. Because mm. when you applied for the jobs, by your own admission, you said that the, 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 the application for the architectural jobs was written 
with no heart. Absolutely. No heart. And yet you've just given us a story that you said this time in just even providing your profile for housing in Melbourne, I have a feeling you probably would have written that with heart. I did. <laughs> but it was very basic. It yeah. was without any neediness that I really need this. You know what's really powerful? Non-neediness. Yeah. And not clinging to a specific outcome. Yeah. That's when things really, really start to happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least that was enough for them, to, for you to trigger them to ring you. Yeah. And of course, then they got all of your heart because they get to hear your voice. They yeah. get to hear the tone. They get to, to have, a, have a feel. And what was supposed to be a week's decision was all made in, in one night. You know, the message there that I'm hearing is that you're teaching me is about the power of communicating and speaking with such authenticity coming from heart, people feel it. People respond to it. Mm. People experience it. And it was interesting because it it actually came from a very vulnerable place um, because I had actually, after my 27th birthday and being blamed for everything that had happened, Yeah you know, verbally in many ways, I had actually lost my voice. That's how I can describe it. I lost my confidence in communication. I, there was something about being blamed for so many things that it just really pressed on my spirit. Yeah. 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 And so I was very afraid of having that phone call with those ladies. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I can't imagine that. I had lost my voice. Yeah. Well, that was actually the beginning of my journey of of rediscovering and rebuilding my voice yeah. and finding my voice in a way. Yeah. Yeah. My authentic voice, yeah. not the voice that is dictated by what society wants you to think. Sure, 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 sure. Independent sure. voice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Speak to us about the power of that huge decision to come to Australia. But I'm going to I'm going to rephrase the word come to Australia with doing something so radically different. You, you were in, uh, just Bernie words, you appeared to be in a rut. You appeared to be in a space and you needed to create strong intervention. So yep. no mucking around. Nope. You have gone, I am going to Australia Without any plans to go back to Europe? Pretty much. Wow. For the next few years or decades, yeah. But now it's probably looking like more. How long have you been in Australia for? For four years. <laughs> have you been back to Austria or homeland or Netherlands I have in between? Been. Yeah, I yeah. Have been. But you've come back to Australia? I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Speak to us about the power of the radical decision. So I'm not asking you to speak about coming to Australia. Mm-hmm. Just that when you're in a rut, if we've got listeners here and they are relating to you, I'm in a rut, mm-hmm. are you, are you going to advocate the radical decision? You know, we are all ready for it when we're ready. So we cannot force that upon sure. another. But yeah. what's been really powerful in my life is the power of contrast. We people, we human beings, we experience contrast for a reason. Yeah. That contrast is here yeah. to learn from it. Yeah. And by knowing what we don't want yeah. to feel or to experience, yeah. then we, we can really gain a really deep understanding of what it actually is that we want. Yeah. And so by getting so much contrast back then on my 27th birthday for how I don't want relationships to be like, yeah. for how I don't want um, life to be like, yeah. And for how I don't want to feel, that gave me such a solid understanding of what I do want. Yeah. And so from then on, like, because I'm a person, I try to listen and learn to what happens to me. Yeah. Because life is always talking to you. Yeah. Life is always trying to communicate to you. Yeah. Everything that happens is there to teach you yeah. something. Yeah. If you are courageous enough to listen and yeah. open enough to listen. And from then on, it's just, you know, being guided and opening up to that guidance of what it is that you're being, that you're being taught by yeah. life. Where does your guidance come from? Um, 
you, you, you referred to the, 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 the guidance. So, so what I'm hearing is post-27, radical decision to come to, to Australia. You called it, don't be afraid of, of placing yourself in a position of contrast. Contrast is going to open up your eyes. You, you, you're listening to another voice now. Um, and you referred to it as a guidance. Give us more elaboration. What is this guidance? Where does it come from? What is it? Well, the guidance um, is some deeper part of me that I feel is always there, yeah. but muddled or covered yeah. by the voice of my head. Yeah. You know, because we internalize society's voices. Yeah. And so we internalize that inner knowing, that inner, inner compass that all of us have. Yeah. We all have an inner compass that yeah. is guiding us at all times. Yeah. Whether you want to call that intuition or spirit or what universe, whatever that is, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But we, fundamentally, we are connected to everything. We are the universe yeah. expressed in a person, you know, in a a soul walking this journey uh, um, connected to everything. So we are guided by source, if you want to say. And if we learn to quiet the mind and if we learn to slow down, you know, we will feel this inner guidance arising. And it may not sound like the music or the sound of trumpets, you know. Do this, da! It doesn't really sound grandiose. But it's more an inner quiet knowing that, oh, I would love to do this. How do you quieten the mind? How do you create that space? What do you actually do to allow that inner guidance to speak more loudly to you? I love solitude. Mm -hmm. I love to be by myself. Mm -hmm. I'm a very social person, but then on the other side, I'm not at all. Mm -hmm. So I regularly take time to be by myself Mm -hmm. and just... um, you know, just be with nature. You, 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 you chase nature? You go to nature? I don't chase, but I, yeah, I go and hike. Okay. Or I tidy up my room. Or okay. I, you know, take a walk on the beach, go uh-huh. for a walk on the beach. Or I cook. Um, so I do something that I enjoy by myself or I take a nice bath. These are all opportunities for me to just focus on myself yeah. without expectations of something, yeah. just being by myself. And so creating that space where I can just be myself, yeah. that's important to me. I have a regular meditation that um, a, me- a regular meditation practice that it's for me like drinking water. I need to start my day with... Um, an hour of meditation. Is that Vipassana meditation? At the moment it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and actually, so that is for me like drinking a glass of water in the morning. Yeah. I really, if I don't do it, I feel ungrounded. Wow. That meditation teaches me to slow down because it's a meditation for me. I, re, I scan my body in a very slow way. Yeah. So, yeah. and because I start my day um, feeling fully in my body because of that, yeah. And, and conscious of it, I, I started off with a different pace. I approached tasks with a slower pace yeah. um, and more consciously. And I really focus on how I do things. Yeah. So not so much just getting things done, yeah. but the energy and, and the attitude that yeah. I bring into yeah. doing things. Because yeah. you can cook a meal in a hurry yeah. um, or you can cook a meal with love and patience and be present with the food that'll make such a big difference mm. that is a meditation itself and mm. and the health benefit from a meal that is cooked with you know that that love and that mm. presence is mm. you know is just different than a meal made in a rush sure mm. i'm hearing so many things that you're suggesting to us that can put you in a place of harmony, a place of confidence. And it starts with sometimes just seeking to do things for self, 
finding time just for the reflective self, finding activity just for self so that you can have the space just to, to, to be you. I'm hearing that sometimes you actually seek to spend time with nature. Mm. I heard just then that even the act of just cooking by yourself and focusing on the meal preparation can add great value to your, your experience of your own spirit. And then there is this one-hour meditative practice in the morning which plays a powerful role in setting up the rest of your day, which when coupled with those other activities that we just mentioned, this allows you to be in a pretty good space. Yes. And it allows me to remember to slow down. Yeah. That's probably the most revolutionary thing that I'm exploring at the moment in my own life. Yeah. Learning to slow down. You know, I'm going to say something there to see. I'm going to say something there to all of the parents, and we can be 40s, 50s, 60s, doesn't matter what age you are. I find it amazing how many of these Saurianists are in this category, young ones. I'm talking about mid 20s, late 20s, early 30s. And they are so much more aware of how to create value, space and inner happiness in their lives than I believe previous generations were. Mm. Forgive me, I, I, I look at the generations of my, my parents and you know, I, I, know, I know people of their generation are still so racist because of the things that happened in the war. <laughs> you know, they're racist against other, uh, uh, other countries that happened to be the enemy during you know, World War times. And, and in part, I can understand where it comes from, but they're still living that in their 70s and their 80s now. And it affects who they are. You know? We're then meeting now this... A lot of young people who, dare I say, are so spiritually aware. We're talking, listeners, to a young lady here who, between the age of 27 and 31, has chosen a spiritual pathway. Previous generations didn't do that. So I get excited about where our world might be heading if this is what is growing and evolving. Makes sense, Innes? I, I mean, 100% along those lines. I totally feel and believe that as well. You are, you are, but do you actually see that in your peers? Do you actually have enough of your age group or there or thereabouts where you see similar choices of unlearning? I definitely do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I definitely do. And um you know the the thing is that we live in times now where whether we want it or not, whether be we believe in it or not, we the planet is going through a shift in consciousness. Things are changing. And so that, you know, I mean I've recently met a 21-year-old girl who for her age was so wise. Yeah. And so mature and knowledgeable in so many ways. Yeah. And so that is really just one of the expressions of our of our times of this consciousness shift. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Because the world is shifting. Yeah. The world needs to shift. Yeah, sure does. Mm. Sure does. But I think it is. I think there is shift. Yeah. 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 Hey, we we better start to head towards wrapping this up a little bit. Yeah. But the, the the last question or questions that are coming to mind is 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 this one. I'm sensing that since that evening, the turning point, that 27 to who you are now, 
that you've started to answer that question that you believe everybody should have the courage to answer. Who are you? What is the truth of who I am? What have you discovered about Innes is the truth of who she is? That's a question, my dear. Mm. I'm fully living it. <laughs> fully living it? You must surely be still discovering other things yet to be discovered. But what have you learnt about Innes that defines who is Innes Hemmings now? Well, what I know for sure is that I'm far more than a body of bones and flesh. That I'm an expression of the whole, expressing itself through this. Through you, through your temple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so realizing that oneness with everything just gives me a um, humility. Wow. And an aliveness that I am part of something greater, something bigger. Wow. And that I am here for a reason and for a purpose. Yeah. And I'm and I'm here to make this planet and this universe, uh, you know, a, a more beautiful place <gasps> to to make it more whole. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm stuck on that word you said just then where you said it, it makes you humble. You you feel a humility. Can I also suggest that compared to where you were, does it also oddly enough, make you feel more grand. <laughs> because in a, in a way, you feel connected with something far bigger than self. You're a part of that bigness. Humble on one hand, and on the other hand, so grand. Are you shaking your head which way? Up and down or sideways? <laughs> All directions. Yeah. Yeah. I am I am nothing and I am everything. Wow. I'm sorry. Sometimes I hear a phrase and I just think our listeners need to hear it twice. But in your slow voice, please. <laughs> I am nothing. I am no one. Yeah. And only when I realize that can I realize that I'm everything. As you said that, the thing that I recognize is the beauty that then flows from your face and your presence. It is a statement of the spirit. It's a statement of awareness of the spirit of you. And that spirit just shined through in this humble little house in which we are conducting this raw download of a journey with Bernie. How was your experience of this episode? <laughs> I had so much fun, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for, yeah. you know, having me and oh, it's a I real, had a blast. Well, it's a real pleasure because as I said right from the start, in a way, up until 27 years of age, you're the girl next door. Because, yeah, no, no, what I mean, I don't mean that demeaningly in any way. What I mean by that is there could be so many people who, who, who had similar experiences of reaching a crisis point yeah. where an event triggers, oh my God, what am I doing all this for? Let me get out of here, please. There must be more to life than this. Absolutely. But the real story for our listeners who may have felt exactly that moment in their way was how did you respond? What was your choices? What became apparent to you? And did you have the courage to listen? Mm. 
In his hammings, can I thank you ever so much for you giving up your time to teach this old fella here <laughs> and also for triggering the thoughts and uh, the responses and the, and the feelings and the consideration of all our listeners. We thank you from a journey with Bernie. Bernie. <laughs> Thank you, Ennis. Really do appreciate it, Dal. So appreciate it. Thank you. Bye for now, folks. Cheers. Hey, I do hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Journey with Bernie. Dear people, I loved it. I just love the continuous learning journey that our dear guests offer each and every one of us. Of course, you may be after contact and connection details or references to books or other podcasts or educational sources that we talked about. They're all in the podcast notes. Do go there, folks. Now, there are some of you that have rung me about joining our forthcoming trips to Nepal. We're leaving April the 6th and September the 22nd. Imagine you and I walking to Everest Base Camp, even discussing some of the content of these episodes. You do have another opportunity, and that's that beautiful, iconic pathway to Gokyo Lakes via Ronjo Pass or Shola Pass. Imagine being in the presence of the mighty Himalayas. It'd be so great to have you on board. Just give us a call. Plus six one, that's the Australian code, followed by my mobile number, 412-982-444. Why? Because we've just got to embrace this journey called life. Enjoy it, dear people. And just remember...